0: creating a culture where god is honored in the way that we live our lives and the way that we care for the poor and the way that we look out for those around us the way that we treat our neighbors and almost you don't want to use the word worship because because that's been so tied to the musical expression of worship good, 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 good.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Together Podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Chris and Emma. How are you doing guys? Yeah, doing well thanks.
2: Great, thank you.
1: So today's episode is all about worship. We'll be hearing from songwriter, worship leader, and event director of David's Tent, Rich DeCastioni. He shares some really interesting thoughts on what worship means for us today. Things like are today's churches really practicing true worship? What do we mean when we say worship is a lifestyle? That's a statement that gets thrown around quite a lot. What does it actually mean? And how does that tie into how we pursue justice? It's a great discussion full of gems of wisdom, so make sure you listen in. But first up, it's time for What in the World? Okay, it's time for What in the World, where we discuss some of the big talking points from recent news stories. Emma, what are we talking about today?
2: Okay, so you may have noticed that for around the past month, people have been turning their profile pictures blue on social media. Have you seen it? Including you. Yep, including me. Um, So the reason behind this is to show solidarity with people being affected by the crisis in Sudan. There have been months of protests and civil unrest, which reports say have unfortunately led to around 100 people killed and many more injured. There is very little information getting out at the moment, which is why people are using the blue profile pictures to spread awareness. Now this is obviously a very difficult and a tragic situation, and it's really hard to know what we can do to help. So I guess my question would be do you think that turning your profile blue is enough or is it just people hopping on a bandwagon like me
3: Yeah <laughs> Well I guess it is working in a way like we're talking about it yeah. and I think um it's funny because when it's when it first like popped up when I first noticed it it was like I People were saying, oh, the media are not talking about this. This is disgusting or whatever. And then I was just immediately like, why are they not talking about this? I'm outraged. Do you know what I mean? And then actually someone pointed out that there was this news story that I had like released like a week before. And I was like, oh, how did I completely miss that? <laughs> and I, I think it kind of like points to the fact that, I mean, so obviously you know, social media is so big now. And at this point, I always feel like if it's not in your timeline – you don't, you don't even realize. Do you know what I mean? You don't know what's going on if it's not on the timeline. What do you two think about that? Do you feel like, I don't know, are, are we still, are we too stuck in our bubbles of social media?
1: Yeah, I think maybe. I think we've spoken about the Notre Dame Cathedral situation yeah. before, and people got outraged about that, and you know, perhaps rightly so. But also, because we live so much in social media nowadays, people knew everyone was talking about it because they were talking about it on social media, mm. and so we. Consume everything through this lens of what's on our news feeds, and if something is over prioritized on our news feeds and overemphasized on our news feeds, we feel like the whole world is out of balance. Mm. When actually, we're just in a bit of a bubble of the people that we follow, and so we follow a lot of Europeans who can travel to France and so have seen the Notre Dame, and then therefore it's kind of built mm. up an affinity with them, and so that's why they're posting about it, whereas they're not posting about some of the other stuff because it has not as much relevance to them, but we kind of build this whole thing of, oh, it's an outrage because everyone's talking about Mm. it, but it's only one group of people. Do you see what I mean? Yeah.
2: I don't know about you guys, but did any of you see it on the front page of any newspapers? You know, like you see the daily newspapers at the station. I don't think I
3: have. No, I don't think so. I I can't, yeah, honestly, I don't think I can say that.
2: So then I think that's probably, in my head, I think that's maybe what people are getting at in terms of like this is a huge crisis this Mm. is a big thing like we were just saying there has been around 100 people killed many more injured we don't know that many details Mm. about it and what we do know is mainly through social media and through people sharing stuff and maybe that's come from the few news articles that have been shared but when there's something like this going on in our world should we actually know more about it than what we do Mm. which I think is probably why people are saying that on social media that is kind of not getting out but yeah when I because I, I first heard about it on social media yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of funny because we're like oh it's a social media bubble <laughs> and we just we're we're in our vacuum and we think the world's out of balance but actually I guess we wouldn't know about it if mm. it wasn't for social media because I haven't seen it on any yeah, yeah. I didn't know that it was a big issue but then my kind of slight annoyance i guess with the whole social media thing at the time was that i was seeing loads of people posting about it on their instagram stories yeah and i kind of thought what that does nothing because your instagram story is actually only seen by people who follow you mm. you're in, it's not like it's a main post on your instagram feed or a twitter post or a twitter post a tweet? <laughs> what's so that on. twitter thing called <laughs> so 2010 um, yeah but like if, if you're kind of posting it on twitter or, or you're posting it on your main feed and you're tagging a news outlet and you're saying hey at whatever news mm. place why aren't you talking about this or I would like to see more news about this then I'm like okay cool that works, yeah. like social media. But then when it's just a lot of people reposting the same thing, but mm. not actually tagging anyone, maybe their private profiles, and you're like, yeah. that, what, what, what do, are yeah. you doing? And I think sometimes now we get this thing of like, if we share something or post something on our Instagram story, we've done our bit. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no. So It needs you, to be beyond.
3: Do you think people like clout chase through injustice? Because I was, I saw someone saying something about I've literally seen some pe- some people getting like more followers and stuff from like talking about this. And in a very skeptical world, like it's good. I think it's good to have balance. But if you were to look at it quite skeptically, you could see that people just kind of be like, "Oh, I'm just going to use this bad situation to make myself look great."
2: Mm-hmm. I don't
3: know if that's I don't know if that's a reality. But if that is like what anyone's doing, that's gross, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's social media kind of breeds that thing of like you you have to be relevant to be seen and if you're not talking about what's relevant then you're invisible mm. online. And I think sometimes people will take these kind of issues that are happening, very real issues in our world, and use it as a way to like remain relevant or mm. remain in the know, but it's not actually doing mm. anything. Mm. Which kind of leads me back to why I then decided to do the turning blue so because I was like having a little bit of a moan on my Instagram story (laughs) saying like, hey guys, if we are going to be talking about this on our Instagram stories, let's tag all of the news outlets. So then I started tagging them. But then I saw that people were turning their social profiles blue and I actually was like, that's a really cool idea because imagine if everyone on Instagram turned their profiles blue. How can the news ignore that? Like, Mm. how could that not be something that needs to be talked about? Mm. So I thought maybe that could kind of get the story out a little bit more. But I don't know. What do you guys think about turning the profile blue? Do you think it's solidarity? Or do you think it's like a lazy way to appear as someone who cares? I would not take (laughs) offence. Just interested.
1: No, I I think it's good. I think the broader concept of using your platform and your social media to bring awareness to it is is the real focal point. Mm. And I think sometimes personally, if we're talking specifically about social media and profile pictures, profile pictures change so much and there's lots of different causes that sometimes we are, we do become even a bit oblivious to Mm. that. And so the question would be, how do we use our own social media profiles to do it in a way that grabs people's attention um, and actually makes them stop and think rather than, Oh, they're just supporting some cause or what have you. We ourselves are, Kind of media companies now because we have the platform yeah. we have the social media we have the blog we can create a video and put it on YouTube and so yes our audiences are smaller than BBC and uh, all the others but at the same time what is it that we can do and I think there was a few you know when you did the stories where you were tagging people that caught my attention because you don't do many stories where it's you to the camera mm. and I was like oh Emma's got something to say and somebody else did a instagram live type thing and they don't usually do an instagram live so it came mm. up on notifications and it's like this person's doing instagram live i was like oh really that's strange looked at it and they were talking about it mm. and so changing the profiles is i think a good thing but then how do we grab people's attention and yeah. act like media companies and say we've got this platform and we've got this audience in front of us let's be innovative and think about how we can really grab attention and yeah. spread the
3: word i think that's a really good point because like you said just before emma like people kind of sometimes see social media as this is my thing this is like, I'm trying to get my influence up or whatever. But if you think about it like the way Dan is saying, almost like we're, med- we're all media companies. Media companies don't work in silo. So actually, mm. why don't you use a network of people to start something? And that's what we've seen happen with things like uh, Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement. You've seen people actually... Not just do it just because I'm I'm going to be the one person standing on my soapbox, but actually saying let's get together, everyone. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I think in doing that as well, like I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm a lot more intentional about what my what my feed looks like. In the sense that, because at the same time, it's great, it's really important to talk about these things. But you know, we've talked a bit about like ethical fatigue and stuff in the past, and sometimes I'll just like look down my profile, and it's just like this tragedy, this tragedy, this tragedy, this tragedy. And while I think it's important to spread awareness, I think it's also, like, it's good to balance that out with, like, what the fullness of life is. Because I think if we, in one sense, if we try to just, like, tell everyone this is the one thing you have to focus on with your life, everyone's going to, like, just lose it. They're going to, you know I mean? It'll, be, it'll become too much, become too heavy. So in a weird way how social media works I think it's good in the sense that you can see that oh there's this crisis happening and then see a little stupid cat video (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) and it's like I think you need that full spectrum of life because even as Christians as well we can't just rely on our on our anger. We have to be able to take that to God mm. and get refueled from that. And I believe like God can refuel us through different means, not just necessarily through prayer and Bible worship. Is of course really good, but even things like like funny videos, comedy, whatever. I think it's a good way that God can kind of keep you keep the joy in your life while you're working this stuff out.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think with this particular kind of issue, there was because of the thing of, like, the silence of the press or whatever it was that kind of everyone was saying that they had a problem with, I think that is where this situation is slightly different mm. to your normal, um I guess, like, the, the crises that we see around the world mm. in general that often do get quite a lot of mm. press. So then I think this was an opportunity for the citizen journalists to rise up mm-hmm. and for us to all use our social media to make an impact. And interestingly, I actually got a message off the back of one of my Instagram stories, um, from someone who works, so she's a journalist, she works for a well-known newspaper, and she said, yeah, in these kind of situations, citizen journalism is the only way. Mm. The power of the people need to outpower the press and to talk about things and to be relentless in talking about it and doing things like turning profiles blue and sharing every single article that we can find Mm. um but yeah this person said that they, they had actually tried to get things published and they weren't getting published and she didn't know who was stopping it in at what level of seniority in the organization that she's a part of but she was saying, yeah, it's a real thing. It's mm. the, the news is not getting out the way that it mm. should be. So I think, yeah, in this situation, I think social media did have a role to play.
1: Mm. It's mad, isn't it, when you hear that actually it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just paranoia. Yeah. But yeah. people who are working at these newspapers and writing stories are finding that some people are being selective over what is what is being mm. produced.
3: It's scary. It's yeah. crazy. And then you just get distracted by just like random news that no one cares about. Like, yeah. Uh, Meghan Markle got a haircut or something. You know, he was like, okay, thanks. Yeah, that yeah. makes it, that makes it, brilliant. <laughs> exactly. So I guess,
1: I guess what we're saying is profiles are great, but we all own a media platform, and being innovative, being citizen journalists, um, and trying to be vocal about these things is sometimes the only way that they can get traction. I think, interestingly, like, have you guys seen much... Um, reporting in the news since all of the social media like fast because i i don 't think i 've seen more of it because of everything on social media yeah it doesn 't seem that the mainstream press are responding to it, and that goes to your point of saying well it 's either us or nobody
3: yeah i in all honesty i 've not actually been watching the news that much lately mm. i 've kind of just been i 've been going online but not watching news on tv just because i think at the moment it's just been so dominated by politics and (laughs) Brexit and stuff but um so yeah that's i mean that's even interesting in itself isn't it that i'm just like even knowing even knowing what everyone is saying that this needs to be more prevalent in the press i'm still not really looking towards the press anyway
2: yeah one frustrating thing that i saw was that actually it was like a bit negative about the social media kind I of really. response and it was like oh it's so annoying like pick the one bad story <laughs> but it was that i don't know if you guys would have seen it but it was um some instagram profile that kind of just came out of nowhere and it was like meals for sudan and if you had like reposted or followed it every follow they would be able to provide a meal for a family okay, that yeah. is in need or something like that but it was completely fake And over the space of about a week, this um, Instagram page had got like hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, But there was absolutely no connection to any organization, any way that they were going to be able to provide any food. And then I saw that in the news and I was like, oh, this is so annoying. But yeah, it's just one of those things in it, like in in these situations, there will always be people that use it for their own selfish gain. And that is really sad. But yeah, I think as long as we are always being proactive as well as just talking about it. Because talking about it on social media is the same as talking about it in person. Like us having this conversation now is not actually meaning we're doing anything, but we're talking. And so kind of find the petitions to sign and see what relief agencies that you can support or charities are doing work that you can, I guess, maybe support financially or however you could support them. But yeah, I think action alongside outrage.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed that's really good to hear your thoughts on that and enjoyed digging deeper we're going to move on to the conversation we had with rich who is a singer songwriter worship leader event director for david's tent uh, david's tent is a 72 hour worship festival for anyone who doesn't know but rich goes into that a little bit he shared some really good insight into how worship and justice collide so let's get stuck in
0: Yeah, my name's Rich. I'm the UK director for David's Tent, and every year we organise a three-day non-stop worship festival in the Sussex countryside. So I do that for a living. I'm a dad of three kids. I'm a worship leader and a songwriter, and trying to work out what it means to follow Jesus in the middle of all that.
1: Great, and we had a really good conversation just before we started recording about how kind of worship and mission has intertwined Mm. throughout your life. And almost not culminated but now you're doing the David's tent and the the worship experience and exploring what it looks like to do that 24/7 worship stuff and really mm. push into um push into what what God has for us within a worship context. Yeah. Um it seems like a really good fit for you based on on what you were just telling me. Yeah. Um you used a really interesting term when you were telling me about things you'd done you <laughs> You called yourself a rubbish missionary, <laughs> Yeah. and I was like, oh, "You must no, sure that, that's not true." Can you tell us why you you, you said that, and maybe uh, some some of the learnings of it? I'm sure it's not true from what you were describing the stuff you did.
0: I mean, I think a lot of probably played a lot of Uno. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I think um, looking back. I would have given myself more to actually preaching the gospel and discipleship than mm-hmm. I did at the time. And I think that's something that we can we can forget when we're doing economic programs or social development, is that we do need to preach the gospel as well. We need to live the gospel and we need to disciple life on life rather than just um, feeling like you're doing something good because you're living in Western Kenya or Ethiopia or wherever it is. We always need to be Putting Christ at the centre of our lives, mm-hmm. and dis- discipleship only happens when it's life on life together. That's been my experience. So I, I probably would have been less private and um, <laughs> more over- allowed people to come into my life a bit more. And that's been a journey of sort of opening up my heart more sure. as well.
1: And how has that life lesson impacted how you live now in today?
0: I think I'm much more. Um, just much more honest about what i 'm thinking and feeling with my wife with my friends and my um, family around us and i i think I think it's just seeing that transition between i think probably when I was in my young twenties, I was desperate to be mentored and and seeing that shift now i 'm in my thirties of now I get to be that mentor for someone else, so I'm looking for the people who because, like you're saying. What's in our hands? Who are the people around me that I can add some strength to, or just listen to and encourage? And so that, that shift in perspective from I need this to Hey, what can I give? Hmm. I've got some time. Uh, I probably don't have loads of wisdom, but I've lived a little, and um, you know I can I can always listen. There's there's never a bad time to listen. I think even that would be my other advice for anyone in the mission field or or just anywhere in life as we would go around to these refugee camps in Kenya or in Congo and I didn't have anything to give them I had no money there was some food that was being loaded off trucks but there was nothing to do with me I hadn't given that but I did have half an hour where I could just sit and listen to someone's story they could tell how people came and attacked them with machetes and uh, you know all these crazy stories but the act of listening to somebody in um, looking them in the eye and being there for them. I think that is one of the most beautiful things we can do as humans. Um, and even more as Christians, because we can listen with the eyes of, mm. of God. Listen with the eyes, listen with the, <laughs> listen with the ears of God. Yeah. And, and see, see things from his perspective. See and things then, with the ears of God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speak hope where there's hopelessness. Mm. Um, you know? Yeah, I think
1: that's really interesting. I uh, recently went to Haiti mm. uh, with Tear Fund and similar to what you're saying, one of the big lessons I learned there was listening to people's stories mm. gives you a, a broader perspective and uh, insight into how God is moving in that place mm. rather than us just applying the narrative yeah. that we've created of how people live, how people survive, how they feel, how they respond to it, what they want to do mm-hmm. to make a difference in their own communities we we apply all of that narrative yeah particularly um you know when we're we have a, a big interest in justice and we read all the books and we work with all the charities and
2: yeah. uh, we listen
1: to all the podcasts we we kind of make some western assumptions mm-hmm. um and some assumptions of you know the, the middle class privilege that we have
0: yeah.
1: um and so taking that time to listen i think is it's really important
0: yeah and it's free and it's free it yeah cost anything yeah you so, don't need to take anything <laughs> yeah
1: um, you mentioned that you spent some time in Kenya, yeah. Um, and uh, also, you wrote a, a song out there called "All Things New," yeah, with your wife. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Was that one of the first times where kind of your missionary work and worship combined, or had it been happening prior to that?
0: I'd say a lot of our songs that we've written to this point have been written out of that context of not just what do I want to say to God, but how can we give a song to people who are in the midst of the sex industry or who are suffering from depression or recovering from drug addiction and actually songwriting as an act of empathy is something that I'm really passionate about as well um giving people a conversation to have with god so that that particular song is we were we were in just north of Mombasa there's a little town called Mtwapa which is a regional hub for the sex tourism. Um and we went there and we were running a helping run a little project trying to get girls out of the sex industry who'd been trafficked in there by their families. And what we'd do, um, we do on we would go out and meet the girls in the bars with the teams and just try and just again just listen to them and share a bit of the love of Jesus with them and let them know where where they've been shut out of churches and rejected by their local communities that we as christians were going to them and just saying we still we see you we see that you're hurting and we want to listen to you and so we'd do that with teams and then at the same time we'd have a little office that was surrounded by brothels and one or two of us would stay behind and just worship um and and praise god in that context um and it was awful there's it's very sweaty and loud, and we're <laughs> surrounded by these awful nightclubs where the most obscene things are happening. And that's where the, the chorus of that song came from just a spontaneous moment of worship. It's just singing, In the middle of the darkness, the light of the world has come, and you'll make all things new. Now, when we sing that song, we just, we're always just singing it with that in mind that context of seeing the kingdom of God superimposed over the most unimaginable mm-hmm. darkness. And so sometimes we don't see it in the natural, right? But we believe it and God is making all things new. Um, and even, even if it's not right in front of us, then he's still worthy of our praise. So we love that, that song because that's, when we sing it, we're singing it over Mdwapa and the, yeah. the girls that we met and uh, and the women who are going out every night so they can feed their kids. Mm. Um, you know, they need a song. So. Yeah.
1: That must have been quite an experience though, sing, singing and worshipping Within that context, where you're literally surrounded by metaphorical darkness, maybe literal darkness,
0: yeah, Um, yeah. the power cut (laughs) Um,
1: How do you think we can break through the the definition of worship that we sometimes give that that restricts us to this twenty minutes on a Sunday morning Mm. before and or after the preach? Uh, I'm just struck by you describing that environment in Kenya yeah. um is essentially we're doing the same action as music, there's singing, there's worship. Yeah. But um I think sometimes when we when we talk about living a, a life of worship yeah. beyond the the pre existing kind of definition or sometimes the the box that we've built for worship. Yeah. Uh, how how do you think we can continue to remind ourselves to do that?
0: Yeah that's a that's a big that's a big question. <laughs> um I think there's so much about... I actually think, f- for me, the picture that God's been speaking to me about uh, a lot of this stuff is is the difference between manna and fruit. And when we think of worship as three songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, and that sort of encounter moment, that to me is a bit like manna, where we're just... Once a week, you know, opening our mouths to the sky and waiting for God to drop something on us. Whereas actually, the encouragement of the New Testament is that we would bear fruit. And fruit is grown slowly over time and it nourishes people around you, it carries the seeds to reproduce itself, um, and it isn't grown in isolation. And all of those images for me are it's about worship. But I with mean, someone has used the word worship as just about that relationship with God to help us break out of that box that you're talking about, that worship is sung praise, but actually our whole lives are supposed to be lived in communion with God and in conversation with him and with those around us. And how can we not have a conversation with God and not give him glory because he's so worthy? And when we face up to the reality of who he is, we can't help but give him praise. So it is; it, it has to encompass all of our lives, and we have to to look beyond worship as these climactic encounters, and look at it as our hearts are a garden to bear fruit, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us as, as well. and 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 then it becomes about cultivating a lifestyle, and cultivating community and friendships and um, and creating a culture where we're, God is honoured in, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we care for the poor, in the way that we look out for those around us, the way that we treat our neighbours. Almost, you don't want to use the word worship because because that's been so um, tied to the musical expression of worship, mm-hmm. um, which I do think is a helpful in biblical. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a uniting thing. It, it brings voices together in a way that we don't otherwise. You know, singing is uh to speaking what walking is to dancing and all of those things of like singing involves our whole bodies and our whole expression. Um but the Bible's very clear that if we're just doing that and not doing the rest of it then God doesn't God hates it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, absolutely it's gotta be more.
1: I completely agree with that. And we uh, we talk a lot about how um our day-to-day lives can be uh, lived in, in a way of um, worshipping through actions mm. and so we obviously talk a lot about creation care yeah.
0: um,
1: and a- about how worshipping and praising God is um, is linked to being good stewards of what he's given us, mm. um, is linked to as you say, how we uh, look out for others and help others yeah. I think even even for people who know that and talk about that there are occasions when you kind of forget and you, you do, you know, you say the word worship and you instantly think worship album or yeah. worship set or yeah. um, sim- similar concepts rather than keeping it kind of a, a broad, broad yeah. definition. Just interestingly, what does that mean for David's Tent? So you, you mentioned yeah. David's Tent, this event that happens, um, August Bank Holiday, is yeah. it? 23rd to
0: the
1: 26th. 23rd to the 26th. Yeah. Um, 72 hours of continuous worship. Yeah. So in in light of what we've we've just shared yeah. um, about our conception of worship on a Sunday morning. Mm. Why is David's Tent different and what might that open us up to?
0: Yeah. One of the beautiful things about David's Tent is we gather about 6,000 people from from across all different denominations and church expressions. And in that, we're not uniting around a shared doctrine or particular strand of theology but we're we're really just uniting around jesus and adoring him with all the different voices from you know anglican churches to charismatic churches to catholic churches and everything in between all uniting around we agree that god is worthy of 72 hours of us just pouring our hearts out to him enjoying him enjoying us so there's a a sense of unity in that space that, that's that been a, an amazing gift that we've seen just grow over the last seven, eight years that, that we've been putting the event on. I'd say another key thing that, that is perhaps different, or, or although it, I feel like the temperature of the way that we worship together corporately is, is rising in the UK, but I would say there's an expression of extravagant worship and passion at David's Tent that I've not seen anywhere else in the world that I've been.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: I think it's it's been a, a case of returning. I mean, we've, we've all been told, haven't we, that to be British is to be reserved and <laughs> stiff off lipped and, you know, slow to express emotion. But actually, I believe that underneath all of that lie is this lion-hearted warrior cry that's within all of us, you know, here in Britain... And and actually, it's the returning to that and the uncovering of that, and and it's almost like how how God just sort of shames the wise, with in in Britain that He would birth this crazy, wild, passionate, extravagant worship um, at David's tent, and uh, so that that would be the other sort of hallmark is is the unity across the streams, it's the passion, and then what we're loving seeing come out of that is just life-giving friendships and community being birthed in that space of worship. And I think space is such a huge thing of what we do is on a Sunday morning, my, or certainly my experience is often, you have a, start a great conversation and then the service starts or the kids need picking up from childcare. Or, um, and at Davis Tent, because the meeting is going on constantly for 72 hours, you can just come and go, as suits you so you don't have to stop a great conversation because the main meeting's starting because it's always going on and so that that sort of sense of space and and it's a very intense environment within the tent but around the site it's also very peaceful and it's a great place to get rest and just reset with with God and and it's sort of the rhythm of festivals in the bible is is something that God's sort of instituted of that coming together to realign our hearts with what God wants, but also realign our hearts with the wider Christian community. And we come to realize, hey, I'm not alone here. That that was my experience. Growing up, going to Soul Survivor New Wine as is, is a, a fairly isolated teenage Christian is suddenly realizing, hey, I'm surrounded by this great cloud mm-hmm. of witnesses here. And I'm not the only one who's, you know, loving Jesus and... Um, and And so, I think these these events can be can be great for that that coming together and realigning our hearts with the purposes of God and what God wants for his people as a whole and what's your
1: hope for people after the seventy two hours when they when they go home and they've had this this moment of prolonged encounter with god and like yeah. like you were saying earlier you know it's it's more about us slowing down to notice god's presence, yeah. it's always there mm. what's your hope for them after the seventy two hours
0: i think our, our hope is that Everyone would go back to their local church communities and take that same passion, same value for unity and valuing others' perspectives. And they'd worship their faces off on the front row and and be a fire in their community that recognises that God is real, he's among us, and that we'd take, that we would cultivate that garden and not just wait for the next year's manna or tomorrow's manna that, that it would be an ongoing cultivation of that relationship with God and and with each other. Um,
1: How, how do you think people in churches do that then? Because you uh, suggested, and I agree with this, that Mm. sometimes you find in that corporate setting on a Sunday morning, Mm. a conversation starts and then it stops because the 25 minutes is over. Yeah. Um, Yeah. People, People, through prolonged worship, get a, a glimpse of uh, of how it brings us closer to God, how mm. we can be more in line with, with his will and his calling. Mm. Um, and then the following Sunday, they've still got a, a service plan yeah. <laughs> that, that yeah. sets out the hour and a half. And, uh, and a congregation who are used to that hour and a half is yeah. tricky, isn't it? Like yeah. You've obviously been part of King's Cross Church in London yeah. uh, and other churches as well. Like, what advice would you give people?
0: I think it's again looking looking beyond the Sunday service is I think there's a, a really good reason why we do things the way they do is um, because we don't have 72 hours every week to to, <laughs> to spend in in prolonged. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, people have busy lives and they need an encouragement. You know, we need to hear the word of God and and to come together with with that song um, that brings our hearts together. So I think it's about looking at what God wants to do beyond the Sunday service. Like The end goal of our church communities isn't to have the perfect worship followed by the perfect talk, the perfect ministry, and then the perfect fellowship. Like That's never what God's intention for the church is. It's this vibrant community that, is life-giving in every street, in every household, and and in every day of our lives, and not just on the Sunday. And so I think I think it's sort of changing our perspective. To I think there are things that we can do on a Sunday to encourage more of that, but in general, it's we it's just setting our sights wider that we we don't spend our whole time focusing on perfecting our services like a factory you know production line but that actually we look at the kingdom of god as a as a garden that he wants to grow um and there's fruit that only he can grow and all we need to do is work on the soil of our hearts so that we're ready to receive that from him so i'd say patience valuing the right thing seeing our our neighbors and 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 recognizing that we need each other Mm -hmm.
1: And you mentioned uh, earlier when you were talking about your songwriting approach, Mm. um, it's built heavily on empathy Mm. and writing songs um, that were really relevant to people who are going through particular situations. Mm. Um, Do you you feel like that's something the church is good at generally? Did you notice that was missing and so you felt like it was important for you to step into that area?
0: I don't know if it's been that intentional, but I, I think we could always do more of it. And I'll always encourage songwriters and worship leaders to to look beyond their own need to express something and corporate worship was all always about a corporate expression and rather than an individual artist's expression and so songwriting is a huge part of that because if we don't have songs that we can sing together then we we don't have anything to sing (laughs) so um it's something that i'm I'm trying to get better at myself, and I'll always encourage people to do this. Don't don't just write the song because you're a tortured artist with <laughs> a broken heart, but actually, you write a song for somebody who who can't have kids in your church. Write a song for somebody whose brother's just committed suicide. Like they need a song, they need hope, and um, I I feel like that's a real a much more. Um, we, you can see songwriting a lot more as, as an act of service than as an act of artistry or self-indulgence in that sense. It's, we're giving people a conversation to have and, and sometimes you're writing that song because it's something that you've walked through. Like you know, For us, we, we lost my wife's brother um, three years ago in a car accident and we wrote a song after we sort of came out of the really intense initial grief, obviously, was you're still forever changed by the loss of a brother. But, um, but sometimes you need to write a song when you're still in the middle of it, and and that will be what resonates with people's hearts. So, that yeah, that would always be my encouragement: is how can you take both your testimony and and the encouragements that God has given you in the middle of the storm that you're in, and how can you? give that conversation to somebody else so that they can have it too um, and allow your testimony to be someone's breakthrough.
3: Mm,
1: That's really good you mentioned in there about the need for an awareness of worship being inclusive so for the congregation rather than for the the individual performing or or worshipping in your experience at David's tent how's that kind of tension been because obviously you have the the worship industry for want of a better word <laughs> yeah. um, and then the heart of what david's tent is about in introducing people to worship yeah. have you found that difficult as an event director
0: no not really <laughs> i mean i mean like one of the most incredible things about david's tent is often the crowd will take over and you, you'll hear the crowd six thousand people singing at the tops of their top of their lungs louder than the, whoever's on the stage and those are the moments that i just i just celebrate the community of the saints that we get to bring together and I, I just love those moments and and i think in in some ways that that's the reminder isn't it that that every voice counts and that we're all a part of it and and actually that david's tabernacle from the bible was this place to celebrate that god's presence was back in jerusalem again and it it hosted the ark which represented the presence of God but people could come in without the ritual barriers to entry that they would have in the in the tabernacle of Moses and every voice counted in there and there's just so many beautiful themes that we obviously we've named our event after David's tent from the bible but that there, there's a lot of stuff that he's sort of tapped into in that old testament that was actually of the new testament and that God's presence is readily open and available for us to come and celebrate him together because of what Jesus has done. Um, that's worth celebrating. It's worth highlighting. And,
1: yeah, Absolutely. Um, one last question mm. from me. Sorry for all the questions. That's all right, it's been yeah. great to hear yeah, yeah. your thoughts. Um, as somebody who runs a summer event, and yep. as someone who has been a missionary, is passionate about justice, what advice would you give someone who's attending an event this summer on how to use that opportunity to push into all that God has for them and is calling them to on a justice scale, either globally or locally?
0: I would challenge everybody to to go to that seminar that you're not looking forward to because you know it's going to challenge you. Um, one of the things we're doing at Davis Tent this year is is we've got some charities who are going to be exploring that very theme of how do we connect worship and justice and worship and evangelism and worship and action and look beyond just the singing of songs into the what it means to lay down our lives for, for the gospel. So I'd say challenge everybody, go to that talk by that you know is going to <laughs> challenge you. Um, I would also say just take a moment to, to stop. And the festivals... For me in my life, I grew up going to New Wine, the Soul Survivor, every year. Um, been there, got loads of t-shirts. Um, it, it was always the moment when I'd reflect on God's, what God's speaking to me for my life. And, but you can't do that if you're wall-to-wall, busy, doing stuff all the time. So take, even if it's an hour, just take a journal, take a Bible, and listen to what God has for you in the coming year. And use use that time that you have away for God to speak into your life, and have the courage and the the, the bravery to to listen, because it's it's pretty intense sometimes. Um, yeah, that would be my two encouragements. Go to that talk <laughs> and, and find space. Find some space, yeah, and yeah, just stop. Put your phone away. <laughs> <laughs> um, get get a paper Bible <laughs> rather than an app and uh, and yeah listen to what he has to say
1: that's great thanks so much for joining us Rich for anyone who wants to find out more about David's Tent
0: www.davidstent.net brilliant
1: hope it goes really well for you this summer thanks it was great to chat to Rich and hear his heart for worship and justice what stood out to you guys
2: Yeah, I loved what he said about how songwriting can be an act of empathy and service to those who are living in poverty. I've actually never thought about it like that before. But how songwriting can be a way of um, sharing people's stories and I guess giving people a song to sing themselves so not just the songs of everything's great all the time but actually the the real hardship that we go through and the clinging to God and um, yeah being able to put that into a song to know that someone else may sing that is it's really powerful
3: yeah and I, I really liked what he talked about when he used that analogy of manna versus fruit so mm-hmm. this kind of idea of like well Sunday service worship where it's like three songs is almost kind of like this manna moment where you're kind of looking for God to kind of just drop whatever there um, whereas like in the New Testament through the fruit of the spirit we can develop kind of through our worship we can develop like a sustained growth that other people can like enjoy uh, that helps nourish yourself and builds up everyone.
1: yeah I think for me it's a, s- a similar thing uh, off the back of that concept of worship being wider and having a different focus um, and specifically around cultivating a heart of worship and how that involves loving and caring for for the poor and for people who are beyond our existing kind of spheres it's kind of typified by that image of him leading worship in some of the situations that he's been in and some of his experiences as a missionary taking worship and um, joining with others in worship in that context you can just see how that has a much more richness and depth than the the manner that we that we have three songs on a sunday So that's everything for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. We're back on the 5th of August with a new episode. We'll be talking to Bryn, who started an ethical coffee company called Blue Bear Coffee Co., raising money to fight human trafficking. If you like what you heard today, then make sure you hit subscribe
0: and we'll see you soon.